welcome to the latest UCL News podcast. This week we've got more fun and exciting people from around UCL for you to listen to, from space scientists to new media stars from the English department. As usual, we've split this podcast into separate tracks, so sit back and enjoy. Right, so today we're here with two people from UCL who are involved in the Royal Society Summer Science Exhibition. Um, I'm going to get them to introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Andrew Fazakli from uh, Mullard Space Science Lab uh, out in the countryside, but it is part of UCL, the Department of Space and Climate Physics. And I'm Valerie Hazan from the uh, Department of Speech, Hearing and Phonetic Sciences. Great. Um, so the idea with the Summer Science Exhibition is that a lot of different kind of scientists come and exhibit. Could you both um, explain in turn what your exhibitions are, are all about? The exhibit that um, that my team is putting on is to do with space. It's in particular to try and uh, tell people that the Earth is living is inside a, a bubble called the magnetosphere, um, in what in which the Earth's magnetic field is holding off the solar wind from the sun and also protecting us from occasionally there's some really nasty radiation put out by the sun, and uh, we're also protected from that by the magnetosphere, and. The work I do is using the Cluster Space Mission, which uses four spacecraft to study the magnetosphere. It's the first time a multi-spacecraft mission has been able to do that. And the really exciting stuff we're doing at the moment is trying to figure out what it is that makes the aurora. So people may be familiar with the aurora, the northern lights um, that you often see in Scandinavia, for example, but no one's completely clear what's causing them. Even though we know that electrons from space somehow make the aurora light up, we don't really know why they're coming down. Okay, uh, so Valerie, what what's your uh, contribution to the Summer Science Exhibition? Well, our stand is called Speaking and Listening in the Noisy World, mm-hmm. and uh, we know that most of the communication um, that we have takes place in very noisy environments. Uh, that's especially the case for kids, actually, you know, in schools, and, and, you know, you have a very poor listening environment, typically. So what we uh, aim to do in our exhibit is to try and explain the impact that noise has on the way that we understand speech and also the way that we produce speech. And we also have uh, one exhibit which will look at um, how brain waves, we'll measure brain waves, Mm -hmm. and we'll show how these brain waves change when you present um, a word in noise versus a word in a quiet environment. We've We've also put together another exhibit I forgot to mention which is quite fun it involves rolling marbles down slopes but um, you can't see the marbles and you've got to figure out which route they took by um, making speed measurements along the way and that's actually very similar to what we're doing with cluster to try and figure out where in space the the particles that make the aurora are getting accelerated uh, so again the, the, the ability for us to concentrate on one or two things like that um, is, was there because we had uh, quite a few colleagues all helping us put together mm. the thing and I, I think if I had to do on my own, we wouldn't have managed to um, do that. For example, we have a um, almost a vacuum chamber that you can remove most of the air from and then you can basically create a bit bit of an artificial aurora in, in that uh, vacuum chamber and have a look at it. Create your own northern lights. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Um, and Valerie, do, do you have any kind of ideas about why doing this kind of activity is important for scientists in particular? Well, I think... I- it's very interesting to speak to people who maybe have less experience of your field and, and very often you get reactions which are um, really informative actually. And uh, we really noticed that at the British Library that you know people ask questions that, that really spur you to think further about the work that you're doing. 
Um, and you, Andrew, any any kind of insights into public engagement that you've you've got from doing this? Insights. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a bit of a heavy it's, question. It's a, lo- a lot more preparation work uh, than I originally imagined. Okay. Um, has been involved, but I think it's it's going to pay off and. Yeah. You know, I think the point is you need to be motivated, and, and one sure. as Valerie um, was just mentioning, the really the driving thing is to, is to be able to reach out to people, and in, in our case, for example, explain to them that people in Britain do a lot of space things. That mm. These satellites were partly built by British space industry, but a lot of people aren't aware there is one even. Great. Okay. Well, thank you for coming. It's been really nice to talk to you, um, and we will put some images and videos and stuff up on the website. To, uh, Um, explain further about your exhibits. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right, so um, today I'm here with somebody from UCL English who is very excitingly um, being named one of the BBC's new generation thinkers um, and she's here to explain a little bit more about how that came about. So I'm Lucy Powell and I'm doing my PhD at UCL in the English department with uh, Professor John Mullen. And the New Generation Thinker scheme was um, an email was sent out to students across the country asking them to write into the BBC with ideas for programmes and a description of their thesis and um, to generally sort of talk about ideas that they might have for academic, academically informed broadcasting, you could say. Okay, so how many people applied, roughly? Um, there were uh, over a thousand, just over a thousand people applied. and wow. that's a lot. That was a, yeah, yeah, I know. And that was whittled down to 57 finalists that they invited to these uh, audition workshops. Now that you're kind of one of these 10 people that have been chosen, what happens next? Good question. <laughs> um, I don't think they really know. They keep okay. ca- calling us guinea pigs. Uh, and the polite, you know, translation of that phrase is uh, explorers. <laughs> but really, we are guinea pigs. We don't really know. So far, we've been asked to do a five minute presentation for a program called Night Waves, which mine went out on Monday night. And next, we will be invited to write an essay, which is um, which goes out again at the end of Night Waves, 10.45 at weekdays. So actually, what what is your work at UCL all about? So my work at UCL is trying to understand why novelists of the 18th century were so obsessed with the trope of the prison, because it is almost impossible to find an 18th century novel that doesn't concern itself with the prison. And the prison itself was also a really fascinating, was going through a really fascinating period of... uh, revolution really during the 18th century in that the prison as we understand it today is actually a pretty modern concept and construct and was only um, ratified in law in 1779 with the penitentiary act so there was a huge um, ideological shift that was happening in the 18th century to do with what the prison represented what it might mean and my my work is trying to trace that to trace the um, trails of that ideological shift through the literature of the period. Okay, so can you give some examples of literature that involve prisons? Well, you can go to the very beginning of the novel, although that's (laughs) in itself a slightly contentious statement, but you can think about um, Bunyan's um, Pilgrim's Progress, which was written while Bunyan was in Bedford Old Jail, and... 
Um, I always think of Little Dorrit when I think of Little Dorrit. Well, the 19th century continues this obsession with the prison, it has to be Mm. said. So Dickens, you're right, Dickens, you can't find a Dickens novel that doesn't have a prison somewhere lurking Mm. uh, in it. But this, as I say, this revolution that occurred within the prison in the 18th century means that that literary discussion is slightly different in the 18th century than than it Mm. appears in the 19th century. So, But you can have Moral Flanders by Daniel Defoe, there's Fielding's Amelia, are you relating it to kind of modern day you know there's a lot of no, there well, are a lot of, there's a lot of literature and not just literature but kind of cultural references that are to do with you know prisons crime you know detectives it's kind of very kind of of the moment do you think that's well i think that i mean in america the prison population of america has just exceeded 2 million for the first time and obviously if you think about um the recent kind of um, discussions that have been going on in the press about the possibility of curtailing prison sentences and the furore that resulted from that suggestion, you're right to say that that is still a very freighted discourse. Mm. And and I think that what you discover in the 18th century continues to be pertinent to today, but no, I'm not trying to give Kenneth Clark a solution to his current <laughs> crisis, because okay. the 18th century novel, while it can do many, many things, can't yeah. quite do that. I know that you're a a PhD student, is that right? That's right. Yeah. I'm in my first year. Well, I've just finished year. my first year of, of my PhD. Okay, yeah. how's it going? It's great, you know. Yeah. I feel so privileged to be here. And the English department at UCL is amazing. And it, it means that all the ideas that you have, you have somebody to bounce them off, whether they're theoretical or historical or literary. There's always somebody there to kind of answer your need. <laughs> okay. So it's great. Great. Okay, well, thanks for coming down. Thank you. And um, we will... Uh link to some more stuff hopefully that you're doing in the future brilliant look forward to it that's the end of the ucl news podcast more information to do with everything you've listened to today is available on the ucl news website you can also follow us on twitter at ucl news thanks <laughs>